to The Golfing Mind, which uh, is the podcast which looks at the game of golf in general, but the mental game of golf in particular. And today is quite a special day because uh, this is podcast 51. And with the exception of one week that was missed, there's been a podcast every week for a year. So this is my one year anniversary podcast. And I thought in the past, I've looked at um, the mental game, lots of different aspects from different parts of the game from different experts. We've had a few interviews and I thought rather than sort of uh, talk about the mental game as such, I would sort of share a little uh, episode with you. Uh, from my golfing life, which I thought may be uh, of interest, and if not of interest, then at least I think you'll find it quite fun to to hear the tale. And it does entail uh, a great deal of what I call mental um, conditioning, or you could call it mental endurance or resilience, or you know, you can decide for yourself when you've heard this story, but. It goes back to uh, 1999. I was at a lecture at the Royal Geographical Society in London. And I was introduced by uh, a woman that I know to a fellow um, uh, who had been climbed Mount Everest the previous year. And he was a bit of an all-round action man, you know, mountaineering and canoeing and hiking and uh, he'd been in the army and all those things that certain people of that sort of personality type pursue with uh, great enthusiasm. And I wasn't really at that point uh, into sort of what I would call hard or endurance type events. I enjoyed my golf, I enjoyed hikes but not long hikes and certainly not demanding hikes. But he and I became very good friends and um, we talked about various things going that we could do together with other friends of ours. And I got involved in um, what I would call hiking and uh, wilderness and doing some uh, adventure sailing. And uh, then one day he said, what sport do you play? And I rather proudly announced I played golf. He said, well, that's not a very exciting sport. I said, well, you know, it has its moments of drama. But he said, there's nothing very challenging about it. I said, well, you know, sometimes you know, the, the wind can be blowing at 30 miles an hour. It might be raining, you know, it could be very hot or very cold. But I wasn't convincing him. And then he said, well, why don't we uh, do a golf challenge? And I said, well, what can we do? So I said, well, we could look at the extremes of golf, you know, the highest and the lowest. And from that chance conversation, in a number of months, we put together a challenge called the Awesome Eight, and it was going to be an extreme golf challenge. And we identified, or I identified, eight courses which I believed would fit the criteria of being extreme. Um, so the challenge was called the Awesome Eight. So we we're going to play the highest and the lowest golf courses in the world. We we're going to play the most northern and the most southern the hottest and the coldest. And then for the final two extremes, it had to be slightly more subjective. So we chose the most difficult and the greatest. So a couple of months of planning went into this and this was before the internet was really in any way available. Uh, this was in 1999, 2000. 
So I was sending off um, uh, faxes to uh, courses that I was trying to ascertain as to their uh, significance in the challenge. I was contacting the meteorological offices um, to find out climatically where the hottest course would be at the hottest time of the year and etc etc. So we, we came up with a challenge and we found our eight courses. So the eight courses were going to be the highest which we discovered was in um, Peru at La Paz. Um, we were going to play the lowest which was Al uh, Furnace Creek in uh, California. We then decided we were going to play the uh, the most northern, which is in uh, Norway, near a place called Laxlev. We're going to go to the most southern, which is the Tierra del Fuego. The hottest we discovered was Alice Springs, Australia, in Midsummer's Day, and the coldest we found was Fairbanks, Alaska. Then we had to decide what was going to be the um, the most challenging part of this. And I thought at one level it had to be the greatest because what is the greatest course in the world? How do you decide what's the greatest course in the world? Now you can become a historian and say, well, it must be the old course in St. Andrews, which is very much the home of golf um, because of its historical significance, because it was designed by nature, because it's become for many golfers the Mecca, uh, you could equally argue, it's, if you look at you know, Golf Digest, the number one ranked course in the world is often uh, Augusta National or Pine Valley or Muirfield. So is it the number one ranked course in the world? Is that the greatest course in the world? And I also recognized getting to play there was going to be extremely challenging. And then I thought, now, it has to be the old course in Tandros. And this podcast is a two-part podcast, so this is part one. And I'll come on to St. Andrews uh, later, but I will say this is a teaser for you. I deeply regret um, choosing the old course St. Andrews as the greatest course in the world for its inclusion uh, in the Awesome 8 Challenge. And I'll, I'll tell you why in part two. I hope that little tease has you listening in next uh, next week for the update. But we decided that the uh, first part of the challenge would be um, North America. So we, we worked out that we could play um, the most northern course, sorry, the coldest course in the world, and we could play the uh, the lowest course in the world in a trip to California. So the first place we decided to go was to um, Los Angeles, where we kind of drove for many hours to get to a Furnace Creek Resort golf course, which is in Death Valley. And it's, an, it's, it's, uh, it's a, just a very flat resort course. There's not a lot to, I don't remember one hole, but that's not too uncommon with me. And I remember that it was, I think, 180 something feet below sea level, which doesn't really sound like a, a lot, does it? But it was, um, it was in the desert. And so we, we turned up to play in the morning, but we couldn't play. And the reason we couldn't play is because it was foggy, misty, which often 
is what you get before a very warm day. And I've just checked in my notes here, it's at 214 feet below sea level, um, and which is only uh, 68 feet higher than uh, Badwater, which is the lowest place uh, in the whole of the Americas. Anyway, it's a resort and it's in the Mojave Desert and it's uh, west of Las Vegas, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be hard. Now the thing is, because the air is thicker, it, you, you, you lose distance because the air is thicker. And, uh, you know, when we were out there, we saw a lot of wildlife in the course. Um, but we got around the course with no bother at all. We then jumped in a plane and flew back to Los Angeles. And we drove back to Los Angeles and then we flew up to Fairbanks, Alaska. Now, I love this golf course because it is only open for a couple of months a year. But when we turned up there, we were booked into a local hotel who had very kindly given us the for free, that made it free for us to come and stay there as a sort of thank you for raising money for charity. We're raising money for an orphanage in Thailand. And the um, club was privately owned, but it wasn't privately owned by a billionaire megalomaniac. It was privately owned by a, a brother and sister who I think had inherited it and they'd taken it from being a nine to 18 holes uh, on the... Uh, I played it at minus, when we got to the tee box, it was minus 35 degrees centigrade. And five or six of the members had turned up to accompany us, which was just amazing. And they were dressed like Nanook of the North. And um, you can go online and see photographs, but it was absolutely freezing. We'd been sponsored with equipment by Callaway. And Cal Callaway said, look, the graphite shaft below minus seven gets brittle. And golf balls had to be kept and sort of tucked next to your skin because once they got solid, they'd, they'd, they'd shatter. They absolutely just like crack in two. And um, so we turned up there and it was there was just a fraction of light over the horizon. But members would stand there uh, with a pole and a lantern on it. We would aim at that in the dark. And it was so cold that the snow became like polystyrene. It became like polystyrene. So, in fact, you could sweep it away easily. And if you hit the ball, which never went more than 100 yards because you, you had mittens on, gloves, over gloves and mittens. And sometimes you'd have to take the mittens off just to get a grip of the club. But to, and we, any putt within 10 feet was a gimme. And uh, it took five hours to get round. And I can't thank the, uh, the members of that magnificent course enough. It was extraordinary. The kindness they showed us, the enthusiasm, the TV crew turned up to film what we'd just done. Um, the temperature averaged at minus 26 for the, the duration of our round. It took five hours. Um, and I think I shot a 99. Well, that's what I'm claiming. I'm going to stick to that. And what was interesting is my feet got a little cold. and uh, But the fellow I was with, he was just of this mindset you just don't stop. And it was very interesting because I knew we were raising money for charity, but it's not something any of the members had ever attempted and could see no reason why to attempt it. But it was a, an extraordinary um, experience. And we finished, we then went to a bar that evening where we treated our hosts to a wonderful day. The next, e that evening, our host said, would you guys like to go skiing tomorrow? And we thought that'd be brilliant. And it turned out he owned a ski resort. Now, when I say he owned a ski resort, he 
he owned a hill and on the side of the hill they had a ski run but they didn't have a chairlift they had a school bus so the school bus would drive you up to the top of the hill you'd get up get out and you'd ski down and the bus would meet you and take you back to the top and if that's not skiing in its purest purest form i don't know what is so that's we managed to get the the lowest and then we managed to get the uh, the coldest we then flew to hawaii where we had selected a course as the most difficult now what is the most difficult course well again it's very hard to quantify but in my research there was a course called koalua in the main island in hawaii which had a slope rating of 155 plus which a number of courses have but the course was just incredibly penal it was a very long course and uh, it was one of those situations i you know it does frustrate me sometimes we had written many times to say we were playing the eight most extreme courses in the world they had been selected as one of the courses and we were looking to raise money for you know charity for an orphanage in thailand and they said we'll give you a tea time and when we got there they still charged us the full fee they charged us for a buggy we didn't want a buggy we said part of the challenge was to, to to play every course unaccompanied you know carrying our own bags and things to make it a little more challenging in extreme conditions and they said we well, still have to pay for the buggy even if you don't use it you know is that kind of corporate america or corporate golf that you come across worldwide where a business is, golf is run as a business it's not run for golfers it's run for profitability and Kohler was such a course having said that it was just insanely difficult if you missed the fairway you were in the guano there was no way you'd find your ball sometimes you're hitting to a, a fairway that ran at an angle and it was just as i say insanely difficult and it was fun to play because of the insanity of it as a one-off in the same way that playing a I guess the same way that playing in a putt-putt course would be quite fun of an evening after a couple of beers but you wouldn't want it to be your regular golf course so we flew back to London and that was the first three of the awesome eight courses next week I will talk about the remaining courses and the story of St Andrews but uh, it was a, an extraordinary experience um, to seek to play these extreme courses. So what did I learn? I, I learned that, um, you know, the variety of golf around the world is amazing. And when you play at a club that is owned and run by the members like Fairbanks, Alaska, it is just beautiful. The course is tended for. The members have pride and they share their pride and open their arms and welcome you. They make you feel special. They're delighted you came and they all came out. In fact, after the, uh, we played the round of golf, we were able to give them all a, a t-shirt with the awesome eight challenge, including our own t-shirts because we didn't have enough to go around. When you go and play courses, the corporate golf courses, they're fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's a different kind of thing. It's, you're there to get around in four and a half hours, jump in your car and go. And the lowest course in the world was another resort course, but they were the complete opposite. They opened their doors to us, made us very welcome, didn't charge us green fees, were delighted, delighted to have us round. Gave us the first tea time, in fact, allowed us to go off before the first tea time. And when the tea time was delayed, they still made sure we get off first. So it was a great experience. Um, if you'd like to know more about it, 
drop me a line I'm happy to send you photographs I think it's a website but uh, I think I sold the uh, awesome eight title to somebody wonder why I did that hey there you go anyway I always finish these podcasts with if you're serious about your game of golf your mental game then please uh, go to seagergolf.com we can sign up or find out more about the online golf packages anyway uh, next week we'll talk about the other five courses in the awesome eight and share some other uh, little adventures we had along the way but until we speak again have an absolutely wonderful week i'm delighted to be celebrating my one year anniversary of the golf podcast and i will be continuing with it and as we go forward there'll be more golf uh, probably less mental game stuff but always more there will be mental game stuff in it but you know if you want to know about the mental game just listen to the past podcasts there's not a lot more to say i'll be repeating myself um but when there are some insights thoughts reflections or interviews i'll be delighted to share them with you until we meet again have an absolutely wonderful week